Our reading is from James, chapter 2. It's on page 1,182. James, chapter 2, reading from verse 14 to verse 24. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, we have a little bit of a problem because both of the, the Apostle Paul and James speaking by divine inspiration through the Holy Spirit seem at first glance to be saying kind of opposite things of how we are justified, how we as rebellious sinners can be justified and acceptable in God's sight. In the chapter before our our first reading, Paul says in Romans 3, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So to say that, summarise that in slightly different words, if Paul says we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law, Paul's saying that we are justified by faith alone. But in the passage we just read, James says, you see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So hang on a minute. 
if if we as a sinner are now somehow considered righteous, it means we're justified before God. So we've got Paul, a person who's justified by faith alone. We've got James, a person who's justified by what they do and not by faith alone. What do we do? This, this answer is important because it affects our eternal destiny. And here we have Paul and James apparently contradicting each other. And if that's not tricky enough to make things even stranger, both of them appeal to Abraham to make their point. Well, before we continue, let's uh, just join in prayer and ask for God's help to understand his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's consistent, that it gives us all we need to know about you and how to be in right relationship with you. I pray that all that I say will be true and honouring to you. Amen. Okay, so we have this potential problem with Paul and James, and they're both appealing to Abraham. So let's go with Abraham, and maybe uh, he can help us sort us out here. So Genesis chapter 15, we have Abraham. And God has said he will make a great nation out of him. But Abraham's old, time's going by, and he still has no children. And he's kind of wondering, well, God, what, what do we do? What's, what's happening with all this? I think that's probably a fair question uh, from Abraham's point of view uh, because there's just no way this is going to happen. His wife is beyond childbearing years. It's It's not happening. But God says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this is where Paul is pointing to in our first reading of in Romans. We're still pretty early on in, in Abraham's relationship with God. And Paul, by a divine uh, inspiration from the Holy Spirit, tells us exactly how to understand this account in Genesis. In our first reading, Romans 4, Paul explains what's happening. Verse 18, against all hope, uh, Abraham in hope, believed so and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham had no reliance on himself to be able to make this great nation that God was talking about. He knew his body was as good as dead, but yet he believed God when God said that he would make the impossible happen. And Paul tells us why, verse 21, because he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. In Abraham's faith, it's nothing about him, nothing about Abraham. It's all about God. And he was strengthened in his faith, verse 20. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're told that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, 
It is the gift of God. And when you break that passage down, uh, it's talking about salvation, but it's actually talking about every component of that. Even the faith itself is not a product of our own achievement. It's the faith is given to us and strengthened in us by God. So it's not like Abraham just did his best to muster up a little bit of faith and then God said, well, it's not much, but at least he's trying, so I'll, I'll, he's got something right, I'll, I'll just credit righteousness to him. Even the ability to have faith was given to Abraham by God, and as Abraham exercised it, God counted it or credited to him as righteousness. But this isn't just a, like a nice, happy story we can look back to Abraham. Paul tells us in, in verse 23 of our first reading, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This uh, story isn't just about Abraham. It's, it's not a one-off story. This is the actual pattern of God, how God's justification works. We're justified by faith alone in Christ's saving work on the cross and God credits it as righteousness to us so that we may stand before him. Okay, so, so far so good, hopefully. But what about James? James, uh, in verse 24 there, he, sees, he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And when people just quote that out of its context, it seems at first glance to be an obvious contradiction. And there are some churches and people who do use this verse uh, to try and prove that we are wrong when we say that we're justified by faith alone. So let's take a look, starting back in uh, verse 14 of James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, the key word there is claims. If someone claims to have faith, other translation, if someone says they have faith. So this is someone who says they have faith in Christ. They say they believe in God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. They believe all the right stuff. But there's something kind of not, uh, sort of something out of alignment here because he sees a brother in Christ starving and he sees a brother or sister in Christ freezing. And he tips his hat and says, well, all the best, but there's no response from his heart. Sometimes I'll uh, I like to watch shows on Netflix. I might watch a police procedural show and they might discover a person, a body laying on the ground and they're not sure, you know, is the person dead or are they just sort of gravely ill or they unconscious what, what's happened. And I'm fascinated. One of the things that I've, I've seen them do is they get a torch and shine it right in the person's eyes. And immediately one of two things is guaranteed to happen with absolutely no 
conscious effort by the person lying on the ground, either their pupils will quickly shrink into little dots or their pupils will remain fixed and dilated. If it's the first, they're alive. If it's the second, well, it's probably not going to turn out too well. James sees this man who, who says, who claims he's a Christian man, and James says, okay, let's shine a light into his pupils and, and see what we're actually dealing with here. And it's the same as what the, the police do on, on in the movies. Without the man's conscious effort, if, if his body is alive, his pupils will react in action. But when James shines the torch on the man's faith, without the man's conscious efforts, if his faith is alive, works will respond in action. Continuing verse 17, in the same way faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, James is not saying that our works earn any merit before God. But if you uh, see a brother or sister freezing cold or your brother or sister starving and your faith in Christ who died on a cross in your place to save you doesn't even prompt you in any way, your self-professed faith, whatever it was, is dead. Now, James knows this might be a little bit offensive and he anticipates you might think, well, James, you're being a little bit tough here. Verse 18, someone will say, well, yeah, do you have faith? I have deeds. In other words, well, look, you might be a, a real do-gooder and get out there and do lots of charity, good for you, but my faith's on the inside. Even though it doesn't really uh, affect how I, I live, I believe in Jesus. And James answers back, well, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's like saying of the policeman on the show, well, look, you know, here's this person lying on the ground they're no longer breathing, their pupils might be fixed and dilated, and their heart might have stopped, but they're wearing a T-shirt that says your best life now, so they must be alive, right, because the T-shirt says so. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's not possible. And so James says, look, friend, you, you think you're all set because you, you believe the gospel, you believe in God, all these things, even the demons of Satan believe those things because they're true. But no one is expecting to see Satan and the demons in heaven. So James, like Paul, wants to give us some evidence for this from the scriptures to prove his point. And he chooses Abraham to, to prove his point just like Paul does. But James is looking at a point later in Abraham's life. Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now we know from back in Genesis 15, Abraham had already been counted righteous and justified by God because of his faith, his complete trust and reliance in the promises of God. 
But James is taking us a bit further on in Abraham's life. James is talking about events that are in Genesis chapter 22. And here God puts Abraham's faith to the test. All this time Abraham had been looking forward to God's promises, that he'd have a son, that he'd have descendants, and that his people would be a great nation and and be blessed by God. And now finally he has a son and God commands him to take his only son whom he loves and offer him as a sacrifice. And the scripture doesn't tell us, but I wouldn't be surprised if Abraham didn't sleep too well that night. But it does tell us early the next morning he arose. He'd heard the word of God and in faith he obeyed with action. And we know what Abraham didn't know, that this was only ever a test. Abraham had faith. We already know that. But now it was time to shine that torch into his eyes and see, check for signs of life. In Hebrews 11, we're told, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his own son. And we're also told he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. How how did he consider that? He'd never seen God raise someone from the dead, but he acted in obedience because of his faith that God was all-powerful and would keep his promises no matter what, even if it had to come to raising his son from the dead to make it happen. And I can't leave out while while we're in Genesis 22 without at least mentioning in passing in verse 7, Isaac has got all the things ready for the sacrifice. And then he looks around and asks, "Where, where is the lamb to be sacrificed? And Abraham's response is, God will provide for himself the lamb. That's a beautiful forward-looking picture of what was to come. And we as Christians on this side of history can look back and we can thank God because of our sins, we should have rightly died in judgment. But God did, in fact, provide the lamb to be sacrificed instead, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. So back to Abraham. We know that at the last moment God says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham passed the test. He had a living faith. His actions were confirming, working with his faith and showing that it was alive and genuine. And this is what James is telling us. If your faith is genuine, it can't help but result in obedience and action. One of my favourite theologians, as you probably know, R.C. Sproul, summarises the words of Martin Luther saying, we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. We're justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. And this is what Paul and James are saying together in harmony. But the, the reason it sounds a little bit different on, the, on first hearing is because they're coming at the topic from different directions. Paul's talking to those 
who put their reliance in themselves, in their own good works. And that's a path that leads to continual frustration and ultimate failure. James is talking to those on the other, on the opposite side of the scale, who hear that we're justified by faith alone and say, great, I believe in Jesus too. So now I'm good to go, right? Now I, I go on, I, I live my life because I know I'm, I've got it set with God. And James is saying, well, uh, hang on a minute. That's not the attitude you'd expect from someone who's truly encountered the saving work of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and has had his heart reborn through the Holy Spirit. If your faith is, is really genuine and alive, when we shine this torch into your eyes, we should be able to see some response. James isn't saying that we're justified by our works. He's saying that when we are justified by faith, we will naturally, inevitably do good works because of our faith. As it's often said, works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. I'm really glad that God caused both Paul and James to write what they did because there is no confusion or contradiction in God. And he gave each of them an answer uh, for where faith and works fit together to guard us from error and to give us an answer to others who ask as well. How can I, as a sinner, Stand before a holy and righteous God. There is no more important question to answer than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that from start to finish, there is one consistent message, your grace and mercy in saving a people for yourself, for your own glory. Father, we, uh, we know we can do nothing to earn our salvation. It is only by your grace alone, through faith alone, in and because of Jesus Christ alone. Change us and help us to be more like Christ. We want to be obedient to you. We want our lives to bear fruit in good works. And we pray that, that all that we do will be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.